up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 92. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Oh, it's going. I'm feeling a lot more, I guess you could say, animated this week. You're the literal <laughs> those, <worst. laughs> those that are on Spotify and YouTube, uh, you know what I'm talking about. I'm feeling pretty animated right now. I mean, just look at me. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the fact that I didn't realize that that was a brilliant joke I could make last week uh, was really just selling exactly how sick I was. I'm better now. I'm perfectly normal. And uh, let's talk well, some magic. That's subjective. <laughs> okay, okay. Actually, I take it back. I would never describe myself as a perfectly normal person. Moving on. Right. So this week, we're, we've got a mental magic episode here for you. It's been a while since we've actually had an installment in this series. If you're newer to the show, you might not have heard of it because it has really been a handful of months at least since we've done one of these. But we try to have this recurring series where we go over some things that we think need to be explored in terms of mental health as it pertains to Magic the Gathering and our relationship with the game. And this week, we're titling the episode, Not Good is All Right. We'll get into more of what we mean about that in just a little bit. But before we do, of course, our usual housekeeping, check out the Discord if you're not in there already. It's the best place to be to interact with us outside of the show, as well as the rest of the Traficionado community. And it's really been a great place. It's popping off every now and then, and we've got some new folks joining this week. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. The link to that is in our Twitter page, as well as the episode description. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge, huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that continue to support us each and every week in our content creation. We were actually able to pick up an editor who you might notice is making some better tweaks to the show than I was doing myself. So thanks to our editor and thanks to you patrons for enabling us to do that. It really frees up some time for us to make better content for you. Perks over there on the Patreon include things like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show. And a Draft Chaff Hero card sent right to your door, signed by us. And there's usually some sort of little tweak that Ben puts on there to make them more chaffy. So look out for those if you're a patron. I think everyone already knows the tweak I'll be making to (laughs) to Blossom Prancer, right? I don't think it's very subtle. We'll leave it up to their imagination. I think it's pretty obvious, but we'll leave it to your imagination. You want to find out what it is? I guess you better become a patron this month. And we are bringing back videos, as Ben already alluded to, and we talked about last week, and our pseudo-coaching. We're we're doing office hours monthly. All of our Squadron Hawk patrons will have access to the channel in the Discord that will enable you to come in chat with us, share your drafts, any sort of feedback you want from us in terms of, uh, yeah, your drafting or magic in general or pretty much anything. We're just going to hang out for an hour and love to talk to you. Yeah, we'll hang out, maybe talk about draft picks, maybe even fire a draft, stream some stuff together, hang out, maybe play some commander if people are feeling up to it. And uh, I guess that already happened. So uh, I hope it was a fun time and (laughs) I'm looking forward to the next one. All right, on to our cracker draft type thing. This week, it looks like we have a pack one, pick one. So Ben, do you want to walk us through this? Yeah, sure. So this is a pack one, pick one that I had that I think I may have gotten wrong. And it might be a painful one. This format and I have had some beef. So let's get into it. First out of the pack, uh, Forest, ignore that. You were already dead. Just the best card name in the set. And possibly the best card to name with cards that allow you to name things to kind of just, you know, rub it in your opponent's face. Yeah. How often does that come up in limited? Uh, never. Okay. <laughs> but, right. uh, Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, the modern age, a banger of a card. This is, I mean, two mana, two, three flyer draws you two. Yeah. You have to discard two, but like whatever. 
Next up, Skies from Rakoi, a slightly beefier modern age that takes a little more work to make happen. Also solid. Search like companion. I really, really wish the token it made was an enchantment. I feel like that would make the black white decks even stronger, which I've enjoyed those a good amount. Crappy Red Steelbreaker. This one I think actually could have been a little bit better. Weird because we were talking, I remember before the set came out, about how I think it was one of the Sapperling or Thalid cards, um, Thalid Omnivore, maybe well, from Dominaria, was such a beater in that format. Uh, this looks a lot like it, but it's not quite as good. Yeah, we, we thought this card was going to be a lot better in this format, and it just turns out it's not really. Mm hmm. Next up, Return to Action, the black combat trick that when something's about to die, it doesn't die. They've really been putting one of these in every set. I think it might be time to return to our series where we investigate some of the archetypal uh, effects in each color, because this one has been showing up more and more. Yep. Harmonious Emergence, the aura that you can slap on a land, the green one. It's fine. Whatever. Kind of a dull pack so far. Yeah, I'm not excited about any of this stuff. I guess I'm taking the Modern Age at this point, but yeah, nothing feels exciting. Yeah. Next up, Bamboo Grove Archer. There you go. There's a real, calm down. Don't get too excited there. I mean, it's fine yeah. in the like green, white, go big decks, but I don't want to first pick it. Yeah. If you want to stay alive, this will help. But mm. Ancestral Katana is next. Uh, Ambitious Assault. Uh, <laughs> really just not great commons. Uh, Skies from Rakoi in the, the modern age, I think, are the only two standouts here. All right. Well, surely our uncommons will do better. Surely. Mech Hanger. Oh. <laughs> when we were young. Oh. <laughs> Great song by the Killers. Not the best also magic true. card. Serviceable, but not the best magic card. Flame Discharge. Honestly, I took this card really highly at the beginning of the format, and it always underperformed. Target removal, and in this case, modified themed removal, just not really the best. So uh, I think I'm still in the modern age. Yeah. Last card out of the pack, we got a rare. It's an Invoke, which I do love this cycle. It's Invoke the Winds, the blue one. You control magic where you gain control of an artifact or creature and untap it. And that untapping has been sweet. However, this, of course, costs one blue, 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 blue. So, yeah, there's that. Thoughts? Right. I mean, I love a card like this. And when this is usually a seven-mana spell in my mono blue decks, this is just a, a two-mana discount. So I'm pretty happy to see it. But yeah, in limited, you're really never... I don't know. These invokes have been weird for me. I really don't understand quite have quite too strongly like when the best time to play them is or, or where the best places to play them are. How highly should you be picking them? Because they are pretty powerful, but they require a lot of you in terms of your mana distribution. And I haven't figured out that puzzle yet for myself. I, I've seen some decks where they work, and I know a lot of people are fairly high on them. I haven't quite figured it out. Yeah, so let's say that you wind up in blue-red, right? Which I guess you're not too happy about. But let's say you wind up in a blue-red deck and you're mainly red. Like, let's just say your seat happened to feed you mostly good red cards, but you first picked Invoke the one, the Winds, right? Then if you're looking to play like a 10, 7, like 10 mountains, 7 islands, you're never casting this. Not unless you have like a, a million network terminals or something like that, which I have found network terminal to be uh, a card that I really want exactly one copy of in pretty much all my decks in this format, especially the, the late game ones. And even more so if you have these intense mana requirements like splashes or uh, these kind of wacky four pip cards. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely uh, not casting it on curve. You could probably get to it later in the game, though, which is why I think the this type of card actually fits better into like a green blue deck that just survives and sits there. Even yeah. then though, I mean, we were talking about, was it Oath last week where like sometimes you get the seven and you still can't even cast it. <laughs> yeah. Like, would you not just take Oath over this? I, I think I would. 
Yeah. So the thing is, if you ever get to cast this, it's awesome. Like you take their best thing. It's uh, the cool thing about control magic effects is that they are both removal spell and creature. Yeah, they have a high setup. You have to make sure it works, but you're killing one of your opponent's best things and getting it for yourself. And this one untaps it, which is a, a big problem. Sometimes if you control magic, their big flyer, you still just die because it's tapped and you don't get to block with it. And it doesn't help you stabilize. This helps you stabilize. But let's say that you do wind up in blue red, even if you wind up where you're playing blue and like your seat was supposed to be blue sometimes you won't wind up blue enough to play this and sure yeah. you can warp your mana to play it but then you might not be able to cast all your red cards yeah i mean it begs the question like if you're first picking this and blue is open you're are you forcing your deck such that this is a playable card or do you just ignore it even if you're in blue and you happen to end up in a deck that like can't really cast it i think probably the latter but there is probably an argument to be made where like if you realize blue is open and you already took this card in the first place, then like you just make sure you're crafting your deck such that you can play it. Because mm -hmm. it yeah, is a, it's a really powerful card. We often try to dissuade people from taking two-color cards first. We want to be able to play the cards that you draft. And if you take a two-color card, you're making an awfully big bet that you're going to wind up in exactly that color combo. Is this... This is kind of similar to that, right? I mean, it's not quite the same because it's technically monocolored. But this is saying that you're betting so hard on that monocolor that, you know, you're saying, oh, no way am I going to end up splashing. Like, I don't know, if you take Oath first pick... You can just play black green and splash it off of a network terminal and like maybe a dual land or something, right? This, you can't, you don't have that flexibility. So I don't know. I took it here. This I took Invoke the Winds, but I picked this as our Cracker Draft type thing today because I think I might have been supposed to hit the Modern Age, which is just not fun. <laughs> yeah, I think the Modern Age was the safer call. I think in the decks that like could have played the Invoke the Winds, obviously Invoke is a much higher upside card. But I think on base, just ability to cast it and the effect you're getting for the ability to cast it, like in conjunction, I think the Modern Age was probably the correct pick. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, it's not exciting though. Like you said, I probably would have just taken the Invoke and like, uh, if I don't play it, I don't play it. But yeah, I think the Modern Age was the correct pick. Yeah. Of course, I took the control magic because I can't believe you're trying to convince me to not take a card that has four blue pips in it. Oh, I'm not trying to convince you not to take it. I'm proud that you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think we've reached that point in the format where we, we know what like the junk rares are. And it's a little disappointing to open something that's junk. And it's a little disappointing to have to convince myself that I might have been supposed to take a common over... A good a draft chaff worthy common. Like this is some good chaff here, but I don't know. I like opening good rares and taking them and putting them in decks. Yeah, that's fair. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is a Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, Teferi Tibble. Well, uh, first of all, I'm not sick anymore. So that's a pretty big Teferi, big W for me. There's been some stuff going on. I'm building a new commander deck, which is always fun. I've been playing a lot of commander after school with students and some other teachers. And Hawana and Elena, they've been calling me for a long time. One of my favorite cards in recent memory. And I've been picking up pieces. I've been actually building this one entirely from my own collection, which, you know, I've just got a bunch of draft rares just sitting around. I've got Llanowar Elves and Elvish Mystics and Thundering Raijus and Goblin and Arcomancers. And I was like, wait a minute, I just have a bunch of good red and green cards. Let me see if I can build this fully just from my my own collection. And then uh, one of my teacher friends did happen to give me the new red-green commander deck from Kamigawa. I forget what the face card of it is called. Some snake, I think. Some snake guy. I don't know. Whatever it is. And they gave me that. And that I'm surely going to be able to pick apart and find any missing pieces or maybe even some cool new modified things. 
So that's cool. I've been uh, excited to, to get to test that out at some point. Uh, it's been a busy week, though. My brother's coming up to visit me this Friday. He's up in the area. But my brother, he's an environmental scientist, but I call him a, a sludge guy because he works for like, he goes around like checking out groundwater and, you know, seeing if sludges are, are good or bad or not. At least that's what I think he does. So I'll ask him if Toxril is acceptable or not. Uh, anyway, I, I made a good soup this week. That's always an exciting thing. Got a bunch of like the ingredients to it in a pot. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Soup. And last but not least, I'm playing in a tournament actually tomorrow, but a very different kind of tournament than I'm used to playing in. Uh, I'm playing in a dodgeball tournament for my school, where as a fundraiser for the eighth grade class to go on a field trip to Washington, D.C., they have like a community cup where you buy in, compete, they sell tickets for people to come watch. So there's a teacher team and... Uh, I'm pretty prim and proper, pretty formal in school. I don't swear. I don't like, uh, which I have to resist sometimes because it can be funny. But I'm a very straightforward and and pretty cool and collected person as a teacher. When I play dodgeball, I'm an animal. I descend into (laughs) savagery. And I told my students that if they want to see me as no one has seen me before to come watch me play dodgeball. So uh, I'm very excited for that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, should be good. My tibble this week... I came home to my apartment today to find that the heating had glitched out and that one room in my apartment was just like significantly hotter than the rest. Uh, I went over my thermostat and it was just like grayed out. Couldn't really see it. So I just smacked it a bunch of times and it turned back on. Turns out it had been set to like 76 or 77, which is pretty high considering what I usually keep it at. So I'm uh, not excited for this electric bill. Yikes. Anyway, what's up with you? Uh, so my tibble is that I've fallen into a bit of monotony lately. Uh, things have gotten, which maybe could be a good thing, but for me, it's been getting kind of boring. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, I've done really well with a bunch of like habits and stuff that I've been trying to build, some systems that I've been putting in place to make sure I'm getting certain things done. But on the other hand, it's getting kind of boring. So I'm trying to find ways to spice it up a little bit, make my daily routine a little bit less static, I suppose. And so part of that might involve like going to sit at coffee shops, do some work instead of sitting at my desk, things like that. I'm still through what to do there. But yeah, things have been a little monotonous lately. My Teferi and kind of a different way to combat the monotony is that I'm trying to plan out some trips for the year. And uh, I have one of the books, my some of my college friends and I go camping every year. So that'll be one this summer. Um, The rest I'm really not sure about. And I'm a fairly introverted person and traveling alone doesn't really sound like something that would be super exciting to me. So I'm not sure how much of that I'll actually be doing. And I don't have a car. I would love to do some like local-ish road trips. Yeah. Even if it's just like driving out to the woods and like getting an Airbnb or something for like a weekend just to get away from the city. But I need to get a car for it first. So yeah, lots to consider with that. But yeah, looking to plan some trips in the not so distant future. Just let me know. I'll come pick you up from uh, from Hoboken and I'll we can drive around out into the woods. I've been thinking about flying to, to, I think, Austin is where my friend lives for a spring break. And then I realized, wait a minute, I haven't like flown since pre-pandemic. It's been several years since I've had to been on a, like on a plane. I've been like, how do I do all this stuff again? <laughs> Got to go like hunt the prices and check the times and see what the cheapest schedules are. And there's like grids and stuff. And you can try to get it the day of to get it cheaper, but then some Sometimes it's more expensive. It's kind of a hassle. Might just not do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Texas is is a bit of a distance. I suppose driving isn't yeah. something that you're super thrilled about, but it is a, it's a drive. Like you could do it. That's true. I, I didn't even consider that. I think the furthest I've driven, I drove to Montreal from New Jersey once and I drove to West Virginia from New Jersey once. I think those are the farthest I've gone. And those are both about like, well, West Virginia was longer. I think that was like eight hours. I don't know. Texas can't be that much further, right? How big is the US? It's not that big, right? 
Texas is um, pretty small. Well, like here to Tennessee is about 17, depending on where in Tennessee. So like the Western side of Tennessee, it's like a 17 hour drive to get from mm-hmm. Tennessee to Texas is probably, I have uh, this is just completely off the top of my head, probably another six or seven. Uh, like, comment, and subscribe if you know how long it takes to drive from Tennessee to Texas. If there's a listener out there that can tell us, despite having the access to the like internet and we are both sitting in front of uh, machines more powerful than we're used to send people to space and could easily just figure this out on our own. If you want to tell us in Discord, just, just let oh us gosh. know. <laughs> All right. On to our listener question of the week. Our question this week comes from Mina Kang in the Discord. And Mina Kang asks, or rather says, I've been finding myself either going 7X or like 1-3. Really comfortable playing blue ninja decks with any other color and comfortable playing the late game splashy decks and the mono red or black red artifact decks. The problem is these decks have basically no overlap. What are the backdoor escape routes into safe drafts in this format? Mm, Yeah, great question. (laughs) To be honest, I found a similar problem. And I think making picks like the one we discussed in today's Cracker Draft like thing is the way to do that. Uh, The modern age fits well into some of these decks because it's a power level pick, I guess. We're taking a card that we know is just like solid power level and it's cheap and it helps you get to the late game, helps you stay alive in the early game, helps you find what you need over maybe this very, very narrow card. And kind of like Mina Kang mentioned, you kind of want these backdoor escapes when there's not a lot of overlap between these archetypes. Hmm. Maybe the vectors in this format are just very narrow and that might allow people to get a stupidly good late game deck or a stupidly good ninjas deck, you know, hence the 7x. But then when you don't have that, I've also experienced this where sometimes you just kind of feel like your deck flopped and it didn't get a like a cohesive vector together. So I think the backdoor escapes in general, just from like an overall drafting standpoint would be taking the the power picks and kind of the the safer ones that go into multiple archetypes of which, as Mina Kang pointed out, there aren't as many, but we're talking about safe enchantment cards. Or honestly, Oath. <laughs> like Imperial Oath just goes into everything because it's uh, a high power card. It's splashable. Pretty much any deck can just, like I mentioned earlier, a few dual lands and a network terminal and some Oaths. That's like a great late game package uh, that can really slot into any deck. And back when I, I think I mentioned on the show or I mentioned in Discord a little while ago, I had a, a red-white deck that I felt like wasn't really strong. Or I felt like it should have been strong, but it just didn't really get there. I had a little Oath package and that Oath package was the best part of my deck. Yeah, I don't want to go too deep into this because I kind of feel we could do an entire like back to basics episode on this topic, which maybe we'll do Mm, in the future. But I think that kind of sums it up nicely, right? A lot of times we talk about finding the linchpins to your deck, finding whatever vector that you're leaning into, and then picking up the few cards that really make that vector as powerful as possible. I think backdooring, as it were, into a different deck is kind of the opposite. You want to take something that's generically good across the board, but also relatively high powered. So something that doesn't really depend on a specific shell, but you can just slot into anything or maybe a couple of cards that together slot into anything and will just bump up the power level of your otherwise not super powerful deck. Mm -hmm. A few things that come to mind off the top of my head, something like Fang of Shigeki, Network Disruptor, eh, maybe that one not as much. Fang of Shigeki, I think, is the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, Kami of Terrible Secrets gives you uh, outspeed a bunch of stuff. Jukai Preserver. These, these kind of like very safe cards. Uh, and of course, there's a lot of strong uncommons that I would say fit into this safe build. Twin Shot Sniper comes to mind. Maybe something like Touch the Spirit Realm. These kind of boring picks, but safer picks that you know are just going to be solid. Gravelighter is another example of this. Solid cards that do go into multiple archetypes that are just a little bit better. Maybe, uh, like I said, boring, but better. All right. Thanks for the question, Mina Kang. If you want to submit a question for our listener question of the week, jump into the Discord. We have a channel for that and we'll answer them on the show. 
On to our main topic. And again, this week, our topic here is is another installment in our mental magic series where we try to highlight some aspects of our mental health as it pertains to our relationship with magic. And this week, we're talking about this particular topic, not good is all right. So Ben, why don't you like kind of talk us through what are we talking about here? Yeah, so I guess I should preface this by saying I'm a scientist at my core. I love making observations and I love trying to come up with hypotheses to explain said observations. And I've been making some observations about myself that were kind of disappointing. I made particularly an observation about myself playing Neon Dynasty. I'm not very good at it, (laughs) despite having a lot of fun playing it. And I've had my streaks, right? I talked at great length about my fabled 10-0 run in paper, which was awesome. But that is definitely the high end of the curve for me. I've not been having a lot of success playing the set on Arena. I have a 56% win rate, according to 17 lands, for all of my Neon Dynasty drafts. And I've done, I think, 40-some drafts at this point. I usually hover around 60% win rate when it comes to limited sets. And my last set, Val was something like, what was that, like 68 or like 67%? It was ridiculously high. Red aggro was good in that set, so that makes sense. But um, I I drafted, yeah, uh, 48 times, checked here. A total of 48 times from launch on the 16th of February to, well, I stopped on 3-13, so uh, I guess around like two weeks ago at this point. And to be honest, I haven't fired a draft since that point. Uh, I've had six trophies. None of them have been since the fourth. So I'm on a uh, already a two-week trophy hiatus and a long absence from the trophy channel. That's just not how I like to play. So all of these things combined just make me go, what's up with me? Like, what am I, am I doing something wrong? Like, am I just getting bad all of a sudden? What's up with this? Yeah, it's a valid question. I think it's very easy for us to go through situations where we have a certain expectation of ourselves and then we don't make that expectation. We don't meet that expectation. And it can be really, really easy to get frustrated with ourselves about that. So that's a great question. What is up with that? How do we figure out what's up with that? And how do we A, diagnose it, and then B, kind of treat that problem? Yeah, so... Maybe some of the people out there are feeling this too, or maybe could relate. Maybe if not in this set, then perhaps in other sets. Now, sometimes we'll have people hop in the Discord and be like, hey, this set just hasn't really been clicking for me, which totally normal. I think the one thing that I do want to reiterate, and I'm going to say this many times at this episode, but this is fine. <laughs> like, I'm not dying. <laughs> I, I just have a slightly lower win rate. And honestly, I can't complain. I'm still plus 50% at least. Um, yeah, actually, I'm going to interrupt you there. I think that is a hugely valuable piece of this whole thing in terms of like mental health, right, is to put your problems into perspective. And I know that sometimes like talking to somebody who's going through something serious and trying to do this with them can have the opposite effect as to what you want, like telling them, hey, it's not that bad is not yeah. always the way you want to approach like di- like working through a problem with somebody. But as it pertains to magic, I think it's pretty safe to say across the board that like it's okay to not be doing well. It's just a game and we do put our heart and soul into it because it's something that we a lot of us identify with and a lot of us have been mm-hmm. doing for a long time. But A, you're here, you're listening to a show like this, so you're probably doing what you can to improve your game. And B, like these things are typically temporary. We tend to go through slumps and and hills and valleys in terms of our win rate, right? So it's really, really healthy, I think, to put it all into perspective. Yeah. Uh, just don't forget, people listen to this show to get worse, I think we said oh, that's a few right. episodes yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah that's th- right. this is the show. If they want to get better, they'll listen to like LR or some crap like that. But like, yeah, we're, we're here to have fun. <laughs> 
I think we've struck a good balance of spikiness versus non-spikiness. But yeah, no, overall, like this isn't going to break my bones or anything. I'm not in mortal danger. And this is a pretty privileged thing to get to complain about. But I noticed that it did have a mental impact on me. So first of all, like I said, maybe you could relate to this. I'm definitely feeling in the last like two to three weeks a bit off. And this kind of made me pause to think about, well, I'm observing this about myself. Why? Like, why, why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? Why has my win rate tanked a little bit? Maybe I'm holding myself to a high standard and I'm forgetting that the point of this is that I have fun doing this and that it's supposed to be fun. So I think this is a really good wake up call, honestly, that maybe I was just spending a little bit too much time playing Magic in the last few weeks. This is one of my first uh, potential option as to what was going on. I used to play a whole host of other games pretty frequently. I used to play an awful lot of Zelda and a lot of uh, MMOs and, and shooters with friends, that, kept, that type of thing. But recently, Magic has kind of taken up more of my gaming pie chart, if you will, whereas it once maybe took up like 50%. Now it's creeping up towards like 80 or 90, which is is uh, not maybe where I want it to be. I think a, a balance is healthy. Even worse, uh, when I'm on kind of like a mediocre streak, I feel like I have to keep going to improve my win rate. When if I'm not playing, I'm not in a good headspace, I might just continue to tank said win rate. Yeah, we actually did an entire mental magic on this topic alone, right? And the, yeah, yeah. the idea of like walking away from losses. But yeah, that's a, a good point that you bring up there, right? The idea that this aspect of my life is taking up some percentage of whatever pie of time that you're trying to talk about. In your case, you were talking about video games or games in general. And taking a step back to look at it and realize like, is this actually consuming the mental bandwidth and time that I want it to? Like, am I okay with the amount of time and and mental bandwidth this is a, this is taking up versus did this get out of hand without me noticing and should I scale it back, right? And not to say that necessarily it's out of hand. Like if 100% of your quote unquote game time is in magic and you're still perfectly happy with that, that's great, yeah. right? That's totally totally. A, totally a personal thing. But taking the time to kind of take stock of that and recognize where you're at with just about anything in life is really beneficial. Yeah. And in that taking stock, I had to think about what's healthy for me. And even as I was, I remember like two weeks ago, I was as I was like maybe playing uh, in a draft and not doing too hot. I think particularly that red, white samurai was uh, one of the tipping points where I was kind of like, man, this should have worked. Like this should have been great. Red, white aggro, my wheelhouse. I love this. And it just didn't really work out. I knew actively during that draft, I'd be happier if I just like shut down magic without playing to the end of the draft. If I had just like, maybe if I was two and two, I could have just been like, all right, that's it. Uh, I'm going to go play Minecraft or something. And I would have known that I'd be happier because video games are, I think, a great form of escapism, especially for me personally. But I just couldn't seem to pull myself away. And I think that's also like really important, right? The I think there's, and we do this to ourselves. I know you and I do this to ourselves. Uh, I don't know about the listener, but we kind of live in the space, especially with the access to social media and all those things. And as content creators, we live in this space where we almost feel obligated to have to play the game because, well, we make content about it and we talk about it regularly and all this other stuff. And I know that I have found that I've been sort of tricked, I guess, into thinking that because a lot of the pros and stuff seem to not have off sets, right? Sets that don't click. It seems like, like you look at LSV, for instance, and there are certainly sets where he'll say, I'm not a big fan of this set, but it doesn't seem that his win rate on average is dropping crazily from one set to another. Whereas I fluctuate a lot. Of course, he's a much better player at the game than I am. That That's just undeniable. But I think we set ourselves as content creators, at least I set myself up to this higher expectation of myself where I'm like, I guess I need to try to obtain that because that's what other content creators do. 
And therefore, yeah. I need to keep up. When actually, it's a lot healthier to just be like, well, this is an offset. And I'm perfectly comfortable admitting that. And I'm because I'm with you. This set has not been great for me, both in win rate as well as just like my desire to play it. It's just not there. Mm. And like I think that's said, perfectly okay. Like we said, not good is all right. Right. So I don't think I'd be a very good scientist if I didn't at least present some hypotheses to explain what I'm observing about myself here. I think my first thought is that this set kind of has a Kaldheim vibe to me and unarguably great format. You know, there's a lot to do, a lot of really cool things. There's cool cards, cool designs. But I found personally the balance is off in a way that I guess strikes me personally the wrong way. The late game Oath decks slash green decks versus the ninjas or sometimes mono red reminds me of snow versus the white decks and sometimes like elves. So I guess the fact that even this dichotomy is so drastically different in both formats is a positive note. Like even when magic sets have similar vibes and similar energy and are a bit repetitive, there's still a ton of variety between them. Like the archetypes and everything are so different, but we just kind of see this dominant late game deck versus this kind of clunky aggro deck uh, with some weird stuff going on. And then maybe like one or two other offshoots that can find success. I felt pretty similar about Kaldheim. I got burnt out from that set similarly easily. And my win rate was actually equally lower there than what it usually was. So maybe sets like this, I don't know what it is about my personal intuition or personal enjoyments or even personal gameplay skill or draft skill. Something about these sets, I think, doesn't click with me as much. So is that a data point you're taking away as like when we see another set like this in the future? Because we will. This isn't, yeah. isn't going to be the last one. When we see another one in the future, will you set your expectations that way in the beginning to think, well, on the outset, this kind of seems to look like a Neo Kaldheim sort of set. Maybe I'm not going to pour myself into it as much as I have. Or do you think you have to kind of pour yourself in first to find out that it is that type of set? It's hard. I think I might kind of still have to pour myself in. And then if I do get burned out, then I can just kind of accept, okay, it is. Let me see if this gets categorized with some of these other sets. I don't know. Looking at this set, I wouldn't have predicted that the balance would be off. I guess it's maybe it's a thing with sets with dual lands. And I do love dual lands. They are a great time. But maybe it's sets that do have the ability to have this late game five color nonsensey. Like five color snow, people figured out instantly. People saw it kind of hinted in uh, spoiler season. But I don't know, when people make these predictions about cards and say like, oh, X card is going to be fantastic in this format. It's like a common and it looks all right. It's like, I don't know if people are always going to get this right. I don't know if I can always tell beforehand if a format is going to fall in this category. So I don't know. I think I'll probably just keep playing. And and uh, if I happen to get to this point again, I think I'll be more prepared to be okay with it. That's a good observation. I, I was kind of on the same lines. I don't know that I necessarily would have been able to tell, even though we do analysis on the set before we actually start playing it, I don't think I'd be able to tell just off the bat, like, oh, looking at the set list. Yeah, this is going to be one of those sets, but it is definitely helpful. And it might help you notice it earlier right into the format as opposed to two months in. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to know just by looking at a set whether or not the Kami War is going to be easily castable or even if with dual lands, it's still pretty impractical. And I really, it's a sign that Magic is such a cool game that you do have to get that gameplay experience in order to see whether a set is going to tick the way you think it will or not. I mean, looking at this set, we would not have predicted that specifically red-white or something like that would be underpowered. Right, yeah. I mean, I had some inclinations just in terms of the way that the archetype was designed, right? The, the solo attacker kind of thing seemed a little weird. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, nobody would have really been able to guess, I think, on the outset that like this is just unplayable or virtually unplayable, even though 
the best versions of this deck don't stack up to like mediocre versions of other decks. Oh, I had the best version of the deck and it did not stack up <laughs> against mediocre versions of other decks. I got out aggroed by ninjas and out at late games by, you know, the big green, big mode decks. Not a fun experience. And I think uh, there is something to mention about this personal tendency and personal bias within the archetypes that fell flat. I love playing the red aggressive decks that can close out the game assertively, but this format doesn't really support that besides this fabled mono red deck, which I actually have yet to draft. And I guess maybe is motivation for me to go back and try to fire one or two more if I can make that happen. But that's also really uncommon dominant. And I, I don't know, who knows? This format doesn't really support red green or red white in the way that I'd like to see. But besides that and like the red, mono red tiny deck, I really do feel like I've done it all, especially after that whole Kami War run. Honestly, if that ends up being like the high point of the format for me, if I never get to do something that bonkers again, I'm kind of okay with it because, you know, that was just such a great experience. I feel like I got an awful lot of fun out of this set. I don't need to, uh, you know, go back to the already squeezed lemon and try to squeeze out a few more drops if it's just going to get more bitter. I don't know. I'm not very good at food analogies. <laughs> I think that's pretty on point. Do you think that this is to begin with? I don't know. <laughs> do you think this is coming as a result of how inundated we've been with magic gameplay over the last like two years, mostly Absolutely. due to the pandemic, but also just because of arena being so accessible? Oh yeah. I think the accessibility of arena is dangerous in a way. To me, especially, I think I have a bit of an addictive personality we can come with that where I could easily spend like an hour on arena and just be like, oh wow. That just flew by, like time just blinked past me. And I meant to do this other thing, but I guess I'm doing this now. So I think back when we didn't have Arena, I wasn't really grinding on Magic Online or anything. I was looking forward to Friday to go hit up a local game store. And I'm honestly really glad that Arena does give this kind of accessibility to people, which I think is cool because, you know, things that result in more people getting to enjoy Limited, I think we're generally okay with, right? But the fact that you used to be a little more Limited... <laughs> with how much you could draft. <laughs> That's not even like a pun at this point. And the fact that there used to be more limits on the frequency with which you could draft, like, I don't know, sometimes if you get a bad draft, you can just, you know, scrap it, take the gem loss. Whereas if you go to an FNM and you have maybe a rough draft, you're like, all right, time to spend the next three hours playing this, uh, <laughs> this janky pile. Let's see how it goes. But then you're also more invested and you're getting the human element. There's definitely something to be said about how arena kind of like a single player game. Well, it is multiplayer, uh, especially until they add like working voice support for and like a friends list that lets you call in or something like that. It really does feel like a single player experience, which can be fun. It's just that, uh, you know, magic is all about the people. Yeah. So we know that there is this problem, right? We have sort of this situation where we recognize that occasionally, whether it's the set or just the time of year or whatever, it, sometimes we go through these ruts where we, we run poorly and, you know, maybe we're burning through gems, we're burning through time whatever it may be, but it's not ideal. And it's something that typically, right, if we're, we're we're posing the problem in the first place, we'd like to change it. How do we go about doing that? What are some solutions to this problem? Right. So I've been doing some things with my time instead in the last few weeks. I think I recognized pretty quickly that the number one thing I shouldn't do is continue like drafting. I guess the extreme case is if I like dump $100 of gems onto my account and just blow it all in a rager and uh, just, you know, waste it all on, on drafts that I'm not having fun 
and I'm not winning. That's the one thing I don't want to do. So I think it's time for me to just pump the brakes a little bit. And uh, you know, as far as magic goes, I haven't stopped playing magic entirely. Like I said, I've actually been playing with students during lunchtime and after school, having some fun. But my students, a bunch of them have started coming after school and like pretty reliably. Uh, and they've started making changes to their own decks. Some interesting changes, but I found it a little difficult to kind of have to say, all right, let them learn why it's not a good idea to put that five mana two two in their uh, in their commander deck. But anyway, that's been a great time. And you're just kind of getting to experience newer players learning the game and seeing their joy and their enjoyment of the game overall, like them learning about politics and saying like, Oh, well, I have this board wife, but your creature's kind of big. How about you attack them? And then someone goes, No way you can do that. Like you can be mean to people in this game. And I'm like, Look, (laughs) you can do what you want here. This is commander. I've definitely found the commander to be kind of a nice respite, a nice break from the I guess, tedium that I found myself in as far as drafting. Yeah, that's huge. I really think that comes down to the human element, though, like like you were saying earlier, right? Like Brawl on Arena does not have the same effect that playing Commander with a bunch of people in person does. Even playing like over Spell Table doesn't have the same effect as playing in person in a four-person pod and getting to enjoy each other's builds and understanding like, hey, you built this deck because it means something to you in some way, shape, or form and really seeing the personality come through in it. And while you don't really get that and limit it at all just by nature of the format, Drafting in person does give you a bit of that because you get to interact with people and it's very easy to waste time away, to waste money away sitting at your screen. And I think that's an interesting aspect of Arena that I'd like to dive into more and maybe in a different episode where, you know, we're not getting any tangible monetary gain from being good at Arena. Like maybe the maximum tangible monetary gain you get out of being good on Arena is that you don't have to put more money into it, but you can never cash out. You're not getting money back. Right? forget about the open. I okay. plan on cash. Ignoring the open. Ignoring the open. I just mean like your general sitting down to draft. Yeah, you don't yeah. get any cash back. You might go gem positive, so you don't have to put more money into it, but you don't get any of that back. So the money you've put into the game, you've put into the game and you're pretty much guaranteed not to get it back. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting to me because it doesn't feel that way when we're playing. It feels like we have to get something back out of this. And that, for me, at least, that's part of the reason why when I start running poorly, I feel inclined to keep going. Because I'm like, I got to make my investment back. I've got it. And I have a very like fiscal oriented mind. So I think about things from a finance perspective like that, but that's just not going to work for me. I'm not going to get anything back from it. All I'm doing is wasting time, which is another resource that I'd like to not waste. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You end up wasting both time and money in the worst case scenario. That being said, I haven't entirely stopped playing on Arena either. I've been playing a bit of Brawl, playing some Historic Ranked, uh, which has been kind of fun. I dusted off an old human's shell, made some updates. Honestly, some of the midweek Magic decks have been fun. The one this past week, they allowed you to play decks that have been legal from, I think, back to like... It was Return of Ravnica, I think. Yeah, the, the Ravnica set. That's been fun. I was playing Cat Pact, which if you remember that one, that's the one where you play uh, Demonic Pact. It's the thing that like draws you cards, deals some damage, makes your opponent discard, and then kills you but uh if you can give it to your opponent then it kills them uh with the old harmless offering it's just a harmless offering nothing could go wrong there that deck is a lot of fun to play so i'm having some fun with that even dusting off any old decks recently you know to be honest i have played very little magic outside of arena myself and it's it's been something that i've actually been thinking about a little bit and hearing you talk about your halana lena deck has got me thinking about it even more i've done a few like here and there i've built some new commander decks online but I have really zero interest in buying them or buying into them because 
I can't remember the last time I played Commander in person. I played a spell mm. table game with a member of the Discord, like, I don't know, maybe a month ago now. And before that, I really don't remember the last time I played Commander. So mm. part of me has started to realize that magic is generally just a lower priority in my life at this point. And it's something like I'm not going to get rid of my commander decks because when I meet up with friends who play, I want to be able to play because it is a hugely social opportunity. But I don't see myself getting too into anything very new anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got some more exciting stuff coming up in the future. We've got Baldur's Gate, the new Commander Legends, that stuff. I think it's it's always just a matter of time until something piques your interest in. I know you'll you'll be back brewing up a new Commander deck before we know it. Plus, I think we just got to start firing some paper games. Like uh, it's been a while, but I'm not that far to drive, right? No, that's true. I just don't have a car. (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm coming to you. That's what I mean. Anyway, just brewing up some more commander stuff has been fun. Like I mentioned, this Halana Atlanta deck, I've been really enjoying crafting, perfecting my modern deck, which I think I plan on starting to take to more tournaments. Uh, I've been looking for some of the uh, the nice foil Takanumas and, and that kind of thing. Some of the nice full arts from, from the newest set that I've been trying to pick up. I think I need an Aganjo still. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I can pick up some of those eventually. And oh, I should try to get a good Lion Sash too. Oh man, I see, see like this is the kind of thing that, that makes me uh, almost more as a collector as well as a game player. Like this is something that I think is a lot of fun. And then uh, we've been doing a lot of good podcast stuff too. All this stuff with our, our new animations, which you can see and we look awesome. And the fact that we have a video now, the fact that we've swapped over, we've got some edits going on and you know, switching to a whole new hosting platform. Like all of this and setting all these things up, it's refreshing almost. Yeah, and I think that's actually something that is great to mention here. These comments that we've said might make it sound like we're really down on magic overall. That's not at all the case. We're still very enthusiastic about the podcast. We're not going anywhere. We're still going to be making episodes every week. Speak for yourself. I'm out of (laughs) here. I'm too busy crushing freshmen while they try to learn how to play magic. Right, right. Well, maybe that that could be its own podcast. (laughs) But we're still here. Like, we still both love magic. I think it's just a very healthy thing at some times to recognize, like, like not doing well is okay. And that's totally yeah. fine. And we are going to push through it and we'll just, but you need to take that step back or you will start to hate the thing that you once loved. And yeah, that's a really yeah. dangerous spot to be in. So speaking of stepping away, what are some things you're doing besides magic to kind of reinvigorate your love for magic? Uh-huh. Sometimes uh, I guess if you love something, let it go and see if it comes back. I don't think cards can walk or anything, but I guess I'll come back to them uh, after I, well, I've been playing a lot of Minecraft actually. So it's that time of the year where every once in a while, some friends and I will just kind of fire up a server and hop on and see what we can do. There was an update not too long ago. And I don't know, this might be a bit of a controversial take to the MTG arena community, but I will solidly argue that Minecraft is the greatest game ever made. I think a lot of people would agree with you, whether in the MTG community or otherwise. It's a pretty solid game. I I love Magic. It is definitely the best strategy game ever made. I'd honestly put it way up there. And, you know, this isn't saying my personal favorites. I think I, I definitely prefer Magic to Minecraft. But I think that objectively speaking, Minecraft might just be the greatest game. Like, just hands down. It's everything. It's everything and nothing at all. You could just go make a little house in the woods and start a farm. Or you could go and create these incredible wonders of the world. Somebody made a a library accessible in Minecraft to allow banned books into countries that weren't allowing them. Because people went in and made a library and then typed out the banned books and put them in the Minecraft library. Where Minecraft was legal in these countries, but say, like, the books weren't. Like, that's insane. That's, like, human connection at a level that's unimaginable if you just told someone it was a game about, you know, punching creepers. 
Yeah, I mean, dude, I will say, so Minecraft is a game, and I maybe eventually hope to change this. I'm not sure that it ever will, but Minecraft is a game for me that I get 10 times the enjoyment watching other people play it than I do playing it myself. But from a technological perspective, it's also really awesome, right? The modding community for that game is phenomenal. And like seeing YouTubers from like days of old, I don't know if they're still active or not, but like YouTubers like Seth Bling, who would like build literal computers inside of Minecraft that actually function that you could program on. Like what? (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) There's got to be a a Minecraft computer out there that like runs Minecraft, right? Oh, so I'm sure there is. Yeah, that uh, wouldn't surprise me at all. There's also, this is a tangent. It's fine. It's our show. Um, We can do what we want. What's the listener going to do? Stop you? They can skip ahead. So I'm a DevOps engineer. I work in software infrastructure. And one of the tools that we use is called Kubernetes. And it's basically an open source platform that enables you to kind of manage a cluster of infrastructure, right? A bunch of machines I know what all that, means. that yeah. run software. Well, somebody has built a, a tool set that enables you to manage your cluster resources using Minecraft. So like you have like these things called nodes and pods and services and things like that. And in Minecraft, they've mapped them such that every animal is a different one. And so you can herd them all together and oh, then wow. kill the animals and it kills off the resources <laughs> in your actual infrastructure. It's crazy. That's awesome. Like, how do people come up with this stuff? I know, right? Like, actual companies could use that to, like, serve their software. But I don't think anybody would. But you could do it. It's almost not even a game at this point. It's almost more of just, like, I don't know. Yeah, talk about the metaverse, right? Like, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Minecraft's been doing it better since, uh, what? When did it come out? Like, 2013 or something? But so besides that... um, Besides all the multifaceted uses, I found it fun to just kind of hop in a Discord call with some friends and just play Minecraft, stay up too late, just like middle school. <laughs> Good times. Uh, I've, I've finished some old shows that I've been meaning to finish. Finished the Book of Boba Fett. It was all right, in my opinion. Maybe not the best. I did predict like four different things to my brother who finished the show before me. And I was like, I bet this, 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 and this are going to happen in the finale. And I think I got like three out of four of them. Wow. <laughs> but so, you know, maybe not my favorite watch, but, you know, it was still entertainment. I have to finish Cowboy Bebop, which is awesome. Absolutely loved it. Can't wait to rewatch it. Good times. But that's been a long time coming as well. Been doing more cooking. I mentioned I made a soup earlier. Yesterday, I spent like three hours just like making a soup, <laughs> which I, as someone that doesn't tend to enjoy cooking, I've found that it's a nice change of pace to try to enjoy things that you don't often do. I think often I don't enjoy cooking because I'm just not very good at it. But the only way to change that is to do it. That's true. And I've been meaning to pick up some books recently. I don't do a lot of reading. I'm not a very uh, reading oriented person. I do a lot of listening. But when I spend all day uh, with students, it tends to be that when I come back from school, I just want to kind of turn my brain off. But I bought a copy of Lord of the Rings and I've been meaning to read it for ages. So sitting on my shelf and one of these days, I'm just going to pick it up and read that. So That's awesome. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. I love Lord of the Rings, as many people do, but specifically the books are phenomenal. And uh, I would recommend if you really want to make that a thing that you do on a regular basis or just to get that book done, give yourself like 10 to 15 minutes before bed. Just read for mm. 10 to 15 minutes. Just start with like, yeah, 10 minutes. Eventually, you'll find yourself similarly to like you said with the games where like you'll end up staying up too late. But just telling yourself yeah. you're going to start with a small chunk of time like that makes it much easier to get started. Yeah, honestly, blocking off a chunk of the day is a good idea. Yeah, either way. The thing is, uh, now when am I supposed to do my late night doom scrolling? Um, do I have to pencil it in for after I read or before I read? Yes, I think <laughs> the idea is that you just stop the doom scrolling altogether, but you know, you oh, do look, you. baby steps, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. And honestly, I think it's been nice for me to clean up my apartment 
after a week of being sick, I had, I know this is a problem that some people will have. And this is typically, I have a very tight, clean apartment. But after a week of being sick, I just had cups everywhere that I just like left in different places. And I don't know, when you go to sleep with a hundred degree fever, you don't really care like where the cup is. You're not, it's just not on your mind. So after a week of kind of my apartment falling into a state of minor disarray, I found it really refreshing to just kind of clean everything up, tidy things up, get everything back where it's supposed to be. And it's nuts how much the your physical space can impact your feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. In a lot of ways that your physical space is just a literal representation of what's going on in your head. And so like a lot of clutter in your living area probably means that you've got a lot of clutter in your head and organization is great. So it's good to put those things in their place and it makes you feel better. Having things all organized and stuff and just looking at something that's pleasing to the eye is just makes you feel better. Yeah. So after all this, what's next? I would like to still fire a few Neon Dynasty drafts here and there, but I think I'm going to keep living vicariously through others. You know, maybe I'll, I'll comment more on some people that have posted stuff in Discord about the drafts that they're firing, kind of live through that. Or, you know, hopefully maybe during one of these office hours, we might get to fire something together. And uh, again, just kind of focusing more on the human elements, the things that make me love this game in the first place, because this is an awesome game. But if you ever get to the point where you are not loving it for, you know, whatever reason, it's time to kind of take a step back as I have done in these last two weeks and say, what's going on here? How can I fix it? Yep. And remember, not good is all right. Actually, yeah, I, I feel like that needs to be our like slogan going forward. Draft <laughs> chaff. Not good is all right. Good is. Well, you know what? That is actually a really great tagline for, for the, uh, that is awesome the very in a nutshell, vibe of this show. But, yeah, that's the show in a nutshell. <laughs> not good is all right. I mean, anytime we have like an episode that we're just not proud of from this point going on, we'll just be like, you know what? Not good is all right. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. We had a blast with this one. Hope you did as well. Check out the Discord if you're not already there because, well, like Ben said, we're going to be a little more active there. We've got our office hours coming up and it's just a great place to be. Our community is awesome. So check it out. If you're interested in supporting us directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks once again to all of our patrons. We really couldn't do this without you. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter. You can find me at Zach E. Hackett. You can find Ben at Betafish1 and the podcast directly at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks. And we'll see you next week. So uh, a bit more of a somber note here. Some things have come out recently regarding Michael David Lynch, specifically some posts by Benita Robledo. I think her name is pronounced. Uh, I highly recommend checking out her Twitter because honestly, in situations like this, it's really her voice is the only important one where she posted a video and uh, some text regarding some actions taken by Michael David Lynch in the past, who, as you all may know, we had on the show. And uh, based on what she said, we've decided to pull the episode because we just don't feel comfortable letting ourselves be a platform for uh, someone who it sounds like maybe not a great person overall, maybe not really focused on improving and, and changing and uh, for the better, and especially not when their actions have, have so hurt someone. Uh, like Vanita here. So again, I recommend checking out what she posted on Twitter if you're interested in learning more. But we've uh, we've pulled that episode and hopefully we can uh, maybe talk some more commander in the future with uh, you know, some more good people. Mm-hmm.